The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So there are some things that I'll look at in my life and I'll ask myself, like, is that something that has a, a purpose behind it ministry-wise or is that just something that's going on? And I think that's a real interesting way to, to look at your life because the things that we go through are really, you know, interestingly unique, but yet the things that we do go through and we do endure and we do see God bring us through uh, become our testimony, which is a real powerful thing, right? So you'll see uh, passages of scripture that reveal that about uh, our King Jesus. I mean, Jesus, it says that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. It says he's tempted with all temptation. It says all of these things about his life, just his normal everyday life. These aren't like, you know, pieces of history that are recorded about, you know, massive uh, crowds being fed with a few loaves and fish or people being healed. Rather, this is just talking about he woke up on Tuesday and he dealt with some stuff, right? And, and that's the kind of stuff that I think really stands out to me in the word because it, it's, it's kind of real life stuff. And, and I think those are the things that really uh, can help equip us uh, to grow and mature in our day-to-day -day living. And so I'll look at my life and I'll see, hey, this took place, so what, what's going on here? Well, so I'll just kind of spare you the, the theatrics and there won't be any details, but I've worked very hard for about seven years and much of that work has been to support the church here. When I came back here from Oklahoma, that was in a real bad situation and many of you who are here who were there uh, at the time may recall things, but you know, there was threat of losing properties and things like that. Uh, it was a really tough situation. Imagine being made the captain of the Titanic after the iceberg, okay? That's pretty much it, right? You had this problem situation. And for some reason, that's kind of been the call on my life. I've always gotten a phone call, hey, I believe God's calling you to take this church. And I'll be like, that's not a church. <laughs> that's a problem. And, and they'd be like, yeah, well, that's why you're going. And so I, I've, I've gone and taken these works. This, this is like the third one, and it's always been a challenge. But you see God do things, and, and I, I've, I've seen those things take place. You've had great victories here, and we're going to see more and more of those. I love the song that Pastor Jared brought, you know, I'm going to see your victory. It just I felt it rise in my heart, and I love it. Uh, so I, I think you see this, and you think, like, is that normal? And then you turn to the Scripture, and you see, yeah, that's normal, right? Like, imagine David facing down Goliath, and then think about what he says before he goes to face this, this monstrous opponent. God's trained me for this. Every time the lion or the bear came and took one of those little lambs, I chased it down and I seized it and I struck it down and rescued that lamb. And this Philistine will be just like them. So what's funny is we get trained, right? You get exposed to things. Some things are not pleasant. Some things are scary. They're frightening. Some things are challenging, threatening. And then we get through them and it trains us for the next one. And the next one's bigger. And then we win that one, and it trains us for the next one, and the next one's after that's even bigger. And then those things, those giants just get taller and taller and taller, but we get trained up and raised up to where we're stronger and stronger and stronger, and we just keep seeing win after win after win after win, because God wins. It's a real encouraging thing. So I was going over, you know, the, the experiences, some of the things that maybe were, were on my mind, and if you're like me, you're a thinker. You know, something will happen It'll just be in your head, right? It's kind of hard to shake it sometimes, and sometimes we have to really overcome that, put things in their proper place, and lay things down so they don't become anxious or fearful. 
But in those seven years of working real hard to, to you know, recover all of this and build it and, and grow it because I believe in the destiny of, of Champions Church and what God's done here, I was actually a part of helping plant it back in the year 2000 and started in the Civic Center and, and you know, then moved to downtown and the South First and Sales area and then moved out here to this building and did renovations and all. There's a lot of history here and I have a, a tremendous uh, a, a compassion for the call that is on this uh, congregation to do really great things in this city, in this community, in the surrounding area, and then worldwide through missions. I really want to see a lot of missions work come out of this place. So there's a devotion for that. So for those seven years, you know, you're laboring and you're working because you believe and you know. And in those seven years, one of the, the ventures was uh, groundskeeping, like landscaping. That started because of a, uh, a man in the church who had a, a bit of a history and a background. He was needing work, and he was asking if, if he could do any work around the church. And, of course, I just said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I've done some landscaping. And, and the church was not in a good place financially to spend even a nickel, you know. So I thought, well, man, I, I can't really afford to hire you to, to mow the church grounds, but we have some equipment. What if we went out and found some work? And so we started this, you know, this landscape company, and it, it began to grow, and it grew and grew. Well, so here's the, the thing that I want to share with you. In those seven years... We've lost only two contracts. Now, what's interesting to me is in the past two months, I've lost seven contracts. That's weird, isn't it? Seven years lost two, now two months lost seven. And you're sitting there and you're looking, you're thinking, God, what are you doing? Because this has really been the bread and butter. This has been what's kept the lights on at the expense of my time, my body, you know, the, this, this group of, of men and women that have been willing to jump in and participate. And, and it's been their employment, which has been great because it's been able to help some people. Some have taken advantage of it. Some have, have done well. And then others uh, have, have just washed out or moved on. But it's, it's had a number of different facets of, of really great, victory and then all of a sudden now it's in this this place of of peril where half your business is gone it's actually more than half and you're left wondering what are you doing <laughs> I thought we had a deal right you know but God will shift and change and move things and he'll do it in such a way where where it, it will test your faith and that is really how you know it's God honestly because think about the scripture it's impossible to please God without faith right? So how can you do anything pleasing to him if it's not stretching you to trust and believe that his, he's involved, that his hand is upholding everything, that he's present, that he's near, that he's aware, and that he will perform? That's the big one. Not just that he knows, but that he will deliver. And that's the life that we're really called to live. And that's one of the things that I want to emphasize here as I'm sharing what we're about to get into, is that God's called us to these things for a purpose, because every time you walk through one of these moments where you're trained up and raised up, where you have a bigger victory than the last one that you had, and the only thing that carries you through that victory is the knowledge that you didn't die last time. And God's love for me hasn't changed, so I'm not going to die this time either. When you have those kinds of things in your life, it can build you up to a place where you can endure and persevere through really nightmarish scenarios. And this is all part of our growth and all part of our maturity. It's not just meant to be a call for, for a select few who walk in a certain measure of faith, but rather every single believer is being raised up. 
to grow past hurts and wounds and rejections and, and sufferings and, and inferiorities and, and shortcomings and to grow past all of those things into a life that could be described as prosperous and abundant. And then the question is really, how would God do this except to be our example? It's the reason why Jesus, right? I mean, consider Jesus. He had everything, and the Bible says equality with God is what he had, but he didn't seek that as something to be like held on to, so he was willing to release it when God told him to, and he came to earth and humbled himself, became a servant, and went through all kinds of hell, even torture and death. But then you see what takes place at the end of that. The word says, therefore, God highly exalted him. And so you and I are in no different situation when we go through trials and tribulations and difficulties and hardships. Those are things that are not enjoyable to go through. But as we go through them, we're being raised up and we're being shown the way to go so that we can shed all of the fears and the anxieties that would hold us back and be led into a place where we are absolutely courageous. Which, by the way, courage and faith go hand in hand. I don't know of any situation that's ever required faith that I couldn't have substituted the word courage. You go into somebody's situation where they're facing something in their health and their body or, or dealing with a rejection or a hurt and wound, and you tell them, well, you just need to have faith. It almost sounds like an insult, right? But if you were to tell them, you're going to have to be courageous because this is a challenge. It's going to require you to shut out fear and anxiety, and it's going to require you to hold on to everything that's hopeful and victorious. It's pretty awesome. So every single thing in my life that's ever required faith has required courage. And when I look at the things that God's called me to, I see that he's showing me through example, throughout the word, that he's raising me up into a faith-filled life, a courageous life of one victory after the next. And he does this by giving us his example. And I want to, this is where we're going to get into the word. And I think this is an interesting uh, perspective to have because it's one that God's chosen. He selected this. This isn't just Preston's ideas on the Bible. But rather, this is something that God's intentionally brought into our world for the purpose of accomplishing the things that he set out to accomplish in and through our lives. So here's a few things that we're going to find. It's a pretty long setup, isn't it? few things that we're going to find in the word here. If you're taking notes, you can jot these things down. One, we're going to find what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. What it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oftentimes, if we see this in the scripture, we might just read right past it and find it a bit poetic even. But the reality is we should pay attention. It, it's a very specific instruction. Another thing we're going to find, and I wrote this down here because it meant something to me. Honestly, it feels a little bit weak, but maybe it'll translate and, and be as strong to you too when we get there. But what gets spoken? What gets spoken? Now, I know your, your mind could be going in a bunch of different directions here on what gets spoken because, you know, there's a lot of anticipation and uh, when we get there, it might not be what you think it is, but I want to make sure we all pay attention because I think that's a real important point. And then another one that we're going to find is how to see God's promises. How to see God's promises. Now, I'm going to have to move pretty fast here through, through the scripture because I don't want to go long this morning. 
I do want it to be effective, and I think we can do this uh, in a very manageable way. I mentioned we're going to find out what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven, and I want to start there. So if you have your Bibles, go to the uh, Gospel of Matthew. I want to look at chapter 18, and I want to look at verses 2 through 4. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 2. I'm going to start reading here. Now, it's Jesus that is being described here. So when it says he, it's talking about Jesus. It says, uh, Jesus called a child to himself. And he set the child before them. And he said this, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever uh, then humbles himself as this child... He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's an interesting passage of scripture. And it provokes a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different feelings and emotions. I want to stop and break it down for the purpose of our application this morning and identify a couple of things. Like, here's Jesus teaching to a group of adults, a group of adults who are so interested in hearing what he has to say that they have left their daily duties, they've taken off work, uh, they've, they've left the comforts of their home. They've made some point to change whatever they had scheduled in order to be there to hear what he had to say. There's a group of adults that are there to do this. And out of all of those adults who have made sacrifice to be there, the one that made no sacrifice at all, this little kid, right, who's just drug along, is brought to the very front. And he's put on a pedestal. He put him before them is what he says. I picture him holding him up like Lion King style, right? Ah. And he says, unless you're all converted, doesn't matter how many of my sermons you listen to, doesn't matter how many of these meetings you make, unless you're converted, meaning something's got to change, right? You can't convert something without something changing. It goes from one thing to another thing. Unless you're converted, that's like the first one. I'd be circling that word converted in my Bible, and I'd be like, God, no matter what, if I think I know what that means, but I'm off, correct me, because i got to have that right. Convert me. I need to be converted. I don't want to think I'm converted. I want to be converted. Unless you're converted and and become like this child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's an interesting thing to consider. Like, I read that passage of scripture and and I think about my daily life and the things that are endured and the things that we go through and all the the things that we, we face with challenges. And I'm thinking, you know, the world has taught me to be a man. Be a man. And Jesus would teach me to be a child. (laughs) And I'm thinking there's a a conflict here. There's a contradiction here. Now, I can tell you that that there is a call on on our lives to function maturely and and to be assertive and and decisive in, in those things. But what I want to emphasize here is that Jesus is identifying something that is absolutely necessary for us to enter into God's kingdom. Now, let me tell you what that does not mean. What it does not mean, unless you are converted and become like this child, you won't go to heaven. Okay? Well, maybe it means that, maybe it doesn't. But what I want to offer this is that entering into the kingdom of heaven is not something that just happens upon death. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to kill you all so you can all go to the kingdom of heaven. 
The kingdom of heaven is, is, is present and active and available for me to walk in right now when I'm dealing with problems and trials and tribulations, when I'm walking in victories and having celebrations. The kingdom of heaven should be highly involved in my life in every single waking moment because it's at hand. So when I read this passage of scripture, I don't just see this as a, a, a statement about, hey, unless you're converted and become like this kid, you can't be born again, meaning like your name won't be written in the Lamb's book of life. If it does mean that, no problem. But how I want to apply it today is like this. Unless you change the way you think, unless you're converted and you become, you don't, if, unless you become like this kid, you're not going to be able to walk in the kingdom of heaven in your day-to-day -day life. That's going to make things a real problem, a real challenge. And I've pondered that and thought that. What does that mean? How, how is it that I'm supposed to be converted and why am I supposed to look like a kid? What is that supposed to mean to me? And how does that possibly help the kingdom of heaven be a part of my day-to-day -day life? And then I start thinking about what life is like when I'm a kid. I'm in my 40s now, so I'm getting further away from that. And it, you know, some of those memories are starting to be a little uh, tough to come by. But let me tell you what I do remember about being a kid. I remember loving life. I remember not worrying about things. I remember being grateful for little things. I remember having joy. And I think what Jesus is saying here when he picks up this child and he says, listen, guys, I know you all came here to hear me speak and I've got great things to say, but unless you can do this, unless you can be converted, meaning unless you can change, change the way you think and feel, and you can become like this kid, this is all going to be a hard thing for you to have manifest in your life. It's just going to be intelligence and, and, and IQ. That's all it is. It's academic. But if you want it to be real and tangible, you're going to have to be converted and become like this kid. You know what that means? It means you're going to have to trust that you have a father that will take care of you. Yeah, you have needs, and yeah, they need to be met, but you understand that there's someone who cares for you. You understand that there's someone watching over you. You understand that there's someone protecting you. You understand that there's somebody funding you. You understand that your life is in the hands of one who loves you. There's the conversion. And now when you're faced with trial and difficulty and hardship, you can either see it as something that you've got to deal with. Oh my God, I've got to fix this. How am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? Or I can say, my dad will handle it. My dad's got this. I'll do my part as his son. But he's got this. I want to be converted so that I don't fight that and I don't resist that. I want that conversion in my heart and in my mind. And it's so hard when we've been raised and trained to be a man. And Jesus would say, hey, you need to be a child. You need to trust that you have a father that loves you, a father that cares for you, a father that will provide for you, a father that won't leave you or forsake you. Think about all of the things that are said in the Bible and realize those things are said to you with love and affection. That promise to never be abandoned. That promise to make provision. 
I mean, you can just look around this room at some of the banners hanging, these names of God. These are all identifications that are released to you so that you'll know who your father is. He's there and he's listening. He'll redeem you. That means he'll fix the stuff you break. And I've broken a lot of stuff. That he exists, that he heals, that he provides. It's the reason why he would reveal who he is. Not because he's insecure and he demands to be acknowledged. But because he knows that in our conversion to be like children, we need to know who he is. So that we can trust him. I love it. I think when you catch this, you begin to see the wonders of the scripture and the things that make sense. In fact, this is really necessary, and I think this is why you see the whole Old Testament close with a passage of scripture that's really eye-opening once you catch the idea that God is my father and I'm his son, that I'm being converted and becoming like a child so that I don't feel the pressures and the anxiety that would just bring me to my knees, but I can trust that he'll provide, he'll make a way, that he'll love, that he'll never abandon, that he'll redeem. Here's how the Old Testament closes out. I mean, it's, it's from, uh, 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 you know, the book of Malachi 4.6 is what I want to read. I've heard the joke before that it's the, you know, an Italian book, the book of Malachi. Hey, Malachi. But you see this being spoken of the idea of father and son and, and, and the idea of, of really father and child. You don't have to make it you know, gender-specific at all. But here's what you see here. God will restore the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers so that the land will not be smitten with a curse. Now, the way I read that passage of Scripture there may read a little different than what you have in front of you with the translation that you have, but we won't change the point of it at all. Think about this for a second. The presence of a curse on the land is dependent upon the hearts of fathers and children being united. It'll show you the value of the family and the family unit, the the value of our relationship with God as our heavenly father. It'll show you the reason why there's such an attack, an assault on the family unit, an attempt to divide the family and and breach the the hearts of fathers and children. Everything that God is doing here in in our lives to draw us closer to him is to draw our hearts closer to his heart as the heart of a father to his beloved child. That's the conversion that's taking place in your life. That's the conversion that's taking place in my life. So that when faced with trial or hardship or difficulty, the anxiety and fear of facing it alone is not what prevails in our hearts or in our minds, but the stability and the security and the strength of knowing that our heavenly father, whose heart is fully united with ours, is present to make victory come to pass. So then I want to think of this. I mean, what does it mean for me to be a child, right? If Jesus takes that child and sets that child down in front of everyone and says, unless you're converted like this child, you won't have the kingdom of heaven active in your life, right? Remember, we're not talking about being born again here. We're talking about the presence of God through trial and tribulation, hardship and difficulty. Sorry, that's my fault. I need to know what it means to be a child, I want to be converted. I want to become like that child. So you know where I turn? The dictionary. It's not a very holy book, right? 
I'll go to the dictionary because I want to understand the words that make up the word. So I look up the word child. It's a really basic definition. Listen to this. A son or daughter, a person between birth and full growth. A person between birth and full growth. Now this is starting to make even more sense. When Jesus says, hey, listen, now you've been born again, so now you are somewhere between birth and full growth. That makes you a child. You haven't arrived. Don't think that this is yours to carry. You are in the process of being perfected and developed and raised up and strengthened. Now surrender to that process and know that God is present to raise you and discipline you and teach you the things that you need to know so that you can have the victory that you are in desperate need of right now. I'm a child. That means I'm somewhere between birth and full growth. In my Christianity, I'm a child, somewhere between birth and full growth. In my marriage, I'm a child, somewhere between birth and full growth. In raising my children, I'm a child, somewhere between birth and full growth. That means I have a lot to learn. It means I need to grow. And to trust and know that God is raising me up as my heavenly father, leading me, guiding me, teaching me, showing me, is to set me free from the fear and anxiety that this is my burden to bear. I want to give you a few passages of scripture, and and we may be a little off point here. Uh, But consider this as it concerns Jesus, the son of God, right? He always referred to himself as the son of man, And it's men that refer to him as the Son of God. Here's Jesus as the Son of God. Consider the launching into ministry. Born, fulfilling prophecy. Living through his youth and then being released into his calling and his purpose. And upon being baptized, the heavens open up and the voice of God is heard. And think about all the things it could have said. It's time for forgiveness, right? It could have been all kinds of things. It could have been, I love my children. It could have been all kinds of things, but yet one thing was said as it concerns Jesus. God identifies him and receives him as his son. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What a great way to launch this ministry, right? I mean, it's not everybody listen to him or, or everybody come gather around or it's time now for God to put on a real awesome show, but rather it's just this affirmation. This is my son and I'm pleased with him. It shows you, one, the power of affirmation, right? Affirmation is a powerful thing. In fact, when you deny someone affirmation, you see things like addiction, you see things like relational dysfunction, you see things like destructive behavior, you see things like poverty. When you deny someone affirmation, when that affirmation is denied them, it's not good at all. Trust me. What a powerful thing to release and launch the redemption of all creation. One word of affirmation from a father to a son. Now that's my father too. He's chosen to call me his son. The same one that would be free to affirm and not feel inferior or insecure or try to compete with his children, but the one that would raise them up and say, see him, I love him, and he's mine. Look at him. I'm so pleased with him. I'm so proud of him. 
would create the strength of character to endure all kinds of rejection and all kinds of hurt, even to endure beating and ultimately death. I have no idea what was going through the mind of Jesus Christ when he breathed his last. But I know it was the affirmation of a father that carried him through it. And our Heavenly Father is present to affirm us. And here's, here's how this works now. The fact that God's present, that we're converted, become like this child and begin to, to, to uh, do the things that are, are effective and victorious as we walk in the kingdom of God. Uh, let me give you a few passages of scripture we're going to wind down. Uh, John 5.30, Jesus is speaking. He says, I can't do anything on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I don't see on my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's the Father. And this is a conscious thing that Jesus is choosing. He's saying, listen, I'm not going to do the things that I want to do. I'm going to do what I see my heavenly Father doing. He keeps saying this throughout the scripture. He says it again in John 6, 38. He says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 7, 18. The one that speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who's speaking of the glory of the Father who sent him, he's true and there's no unrighteousness in him. I mean, just think about that. The way to be right in any situation is don't say what you feel or what you think, but say what God speaks. You'll never go wrong. Man, I've failed in so many conversations. I've made so many problems way worse before I ever made them better, all because I fired something off out of my own initiative, my own hurt, my own wound, my own insecurity, my own anger, my own rage, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. If it was my own and I fired it off, I promise you it didn't work. But here's Jesus saying, like, listen, if you'll do this, if you'll only speak what you hear him speaking, there'll be no unrighteousness in you. That means you'll win every single time. That's a discipline I want applied to my life. That's a, a transformation. Or as Jesus put it, when he set that child down, that is one of the conversions that I need to take place. I don't want to do my will. I want to do his. I don't want my initiative, but his. And then I told you before, we're going to find what gets spoken, right? What gets spoken? We're going to find that one here. Uh, John 8, 28. Jesus, again, is talking about not doing what he wants, but doing what God wants. And here, here it is in John 8, 28. Remember, we're going to find out what gets spoken. I don't do my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me, and he's not left me alone. Boy, that's a wonderful promise to, to hold on to. And I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now you could read this and you could run this one way or another. And I, I think if you run it the wrong way, it can be a negative. And, and I think it's important that we note that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because we don't have a lot of time. But I have spent a, a lot of my Christianity thinking the wrong way. And if you think the wrong way, you, you'll, you'll go the wrong way. Because as you think, there you go. Now, there was a time when I would have read this passage and I would have said, wow, Jesus does nothing on his own initiative. He only speaks what the Father taught him, and the one that sent him has not abandoned him, for he always does what's pleasing to God. What I would read there is I would read, well, you do what's pleasing to God, then God won't leave you, right? But I don't see it that way at all anymore. 
How I see it now is that when we do the things that are pleasing to God, we, we walk in the presence of God. When we don't do the things that are pleasing to God, he doesn't leave us, but rather we abandon where he is. Where he's active and where he's moving and where he's speaking, we step out from his will, step into our own initiative, and begin to see negative results. And then the question is, how does God respond to this? Well, his response to this is, as a father loves his child, according to the Psalms, just as a father loves his child, so the Lord has compassion on those who revere his name. God's leading us and guiding us and disciplining us. The word promises that God disciplines the one that he loves. I've got news for you. He loves you. Get ready for some discipline. He's going to lead you out of your own initiative and back into his. And then there's a reason why it's so important to catch this, because it's life-giving, not just for yourself, but for all of those around you. Here's Jesus again speaking about not doing his own, but doing what he sees his father doing. Uh, I don't speak on my own initiative. This is from John 12, John 12, 49 and 50. John 12, 49 and 50. I don't speak from my own initiative, but the Father who sent me, he's given me a word to speak, and that's what I speak. I know that his word is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as he has taught me. That therefore is really a powerful word. I mean, I've heard this said before, and I think it's worth repeating. Anytime you see therefore, see what it's there for. <laughs> It's showing you like cause and effect. What Jesus is saying is, I see the value of God's word. It brings life into everything, eternal life. It brings life into every problem, every situation, every circumstance, every heartache, every rejection, every wound, every difficulty, every point of inferiority or poverty. It brings productivity. It brings prosperity. It brings life. It brings abundance into every one of these things. I see the importance and the value of God's word. Therefore, that's what I'm going to speak. And then you face something like I revealed earlier where you're dealing with like a, a, a trial that seems, you know, greater than you've dealt with before. And you begin to ask yourself, what have I spoken concerning this? Have I criticized? Have I spoken words of, of uh, inferiority or insecurity? Have I spoken as if I'm ungrateful or fearful or anxious? Have I, have I cast blame or pointed fingers or... Have I spoken words of failure and spoken words of, of ruin? And, and have I opened the door for anxiety? Or have I paused and said, Father, what do you say about this so that I can speak those words? What do you say about this situation? I want to hear what you have to say so that I can turn to the world and say exactly what you tell me. That's part of that conversion. I want my mind to think like that. I want my heart to feel like that. Here's another passage of scripture. It's from John 14. I want to read verses 10 through 11. Jesus again speaking about his words. He says, the words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I mean, I put that one there at the end because I think that passage of Scripture is not exclusive to Jesus Christ. That passage of Scripture belongs to every child of God. I could substitute any Christian's name into that passage of Scripture. It would sound more like this. 
Preston doesn't speak on his own initiative, but he speaks what his heavenly father, who's abiding in him, says, and his heavenly father does his works through him. Believe that Preston is in the father and the father is in Preston. It fits. Because the promise that Jesus made to us is that God would come and abide with us and that we would abide with him. And this is really how this works now. The reason why this isn't exclusive to Jesus Christ is all because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that we all walk in. And we're just a few passages away from being done. I told you we were going to have to race the clock. But here's a passage of scripture for your notes. It's a very important one. So that this isn't just something that you can think, wow, that sounds good, but I'm not really sure that applies to me. Here's the passage of scripture that brings it home. John chapter 16, verse 13. Speaking of the Holy Spirit that's poured out on all these believers, that's you and that's me, everyone that would call upon the name of Jesus Christ, having the Holy Ghost active and present in their lives, being a spirit-led believer, has access to what you see right here in John 16, 13. But when the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, He will guide you. Who? You. He will guide you into all truth. For He won't speak on His own initiative, but He'll speak what He hears and he will speak it. Here's what this means. This is the promise of the chain of, of the powerful spoken word. It would start with our Heavenly Father who would reveal it to Jesus. Jesus reveal it to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost reveal it to you. And you reveal it to whatever you're facing or dealing with. That's the line of communication from heaven. To see to it that something powerful and redemptive and victorious and, and abundant would be released from heaven through us into the earth. And it's going to require that conversion. But I don't see myself as having arrived. Now this problem is mine to deal with, but I see myself as a child who has a father who cares for me. He cares enough to speak and to send it to Jesus, who will send it to the Holy Ghost, who will send it to my heart, and I will send it into the world. And then you have victory. I kind of got off point from the, the message here. And uh, uh, one of the things that I think is important, we're going to close with two verses. And as we close with those two verses, I need to set them up. I learned something, you know, as a, a, a child with my father, and then I learned even more as a father with my children about the relationship of a father to a son. And it, it's really amazing and profound. I remember once... One of my children in his, his very, very young days drew a picture. And the picture was this big circle with like little sticks coming out. They were arms and legs. And then it had like pokey hair. And then there was a little tiny circle with little smaller sticks coming out. And pokey hair. And he handed me this picture. And I remember saying, well, that's a good picture, son. What is that? So well, that's you. And that's me. He was just a little version of me. There's something about that relationship between parent and child where the child is, is, sees themselves as a smaller version of, of you. And, and I look to my own father, my own upbringing, my own life, and I remember looking up to him and listening to the things that he had to say. And I consider the relationship that God's chosen with us. Why would he have this relationship with us? But he wants us to look like him. 
He's opened up this relationship, this position for us to look up to him in order to be like him. He made us in his image after his likeness. And now he's chosen to relate as a father to a child so that we could not only look up to him but receive his counsel and his discipline and in the end look and sound just like him. Now the Bible uses an amazing word for this. Imitate. Imitate. Let me give you a passage of scripture and we're closing with two passages here. So, so hang in there. We're not starting you know, part two. First Thessalonians 1, I want to look at 6 and 7. First Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. Here's the call on your life. You are to become imitators of those who are in the Lord. You've received the word through, through trial and tribulation and in joy of the Holy Spirit so that you yourself might become an example to all. When I think about my life I, and apply this verse, I can see it makes perfect sense. I mean, I've had people speak into my life, and now I imitate those, those things that are godly. I have God leading me and guiding me, and I look to him, and I want to be like him. And so I imitate the things that I see and the things that I, I read and the things that I know in the Holy Spirit. And in imitating those things, it creates this opportunity for my life to be an example. It's very evangelistic. And then I want to close with this passage of Scripture because I told you we would find this out. How to get God's promises in your life. You're going to find this in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. You're going to find this passage in verse 11 and 12. But Hebrews chapter 6 is this long list of things that we would read about through the Scripture. The Bible is more than just like, you know, good reading. All of the historical content of men and women who faced tremendous hardship and difficulty and then had miraculous breakthrough and the most incredible victories that you could imagine. All of this is not just meant to be inspirational. It's meant to be an example. An example to be followed. That when we read about them, we just don't think, must be nice. But we read and we think, yeah, that's me. I know what that feels like. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do exactly what she did. I'm going to do exactly what he did. I'm going to do that. That's my example. And you'll see that this is how we're supposed to read the scripture when you get to Hebrews 6 verse 11. It reads like this. Don't be sluggish, but be diligent until the very end to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. When I read about men like Abraham, when I read about men like Moses, when I read about men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, it's more than just good reading. It's more than just inspiration. Rather, it's example. Example to help me in my conversion process, to have my mind renewed and my heart changed, to realize I'm a kid. When the world tells me be a man, I can tell them Jesus said to be a child, meaning my father will care for me. I'm not going to suffer the fear and the anxiety that would lead to death and destruction and depression and compromised choices and decision-making, but I'm going to stand firm knowing that God will make a way. When you read about the men and women who did such things and saw such miraculous results, it's more than just once upon a time. It's happening right here and now today. It's happening in our lives. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray over us. The prayer is a very simple prayer. It's, I want us to be the people that will be converted and become like that child. 
And for each of us, there's, you know, a different measure of receiving a word like you would hear today. It's not just like a message on peace or a message on joy where it's kind of like, yeah, I want peace or yeah, I want joy. But rather, this is a message on life. And everyone's life in this room is so different from the one next to it. We have such diversity. Some have known tremendous trial and hardship, and and some have known tremendous rejection and hurt and wounds. Some are walking through uh, uh, unspeakable challenges, and, and, and we're all in different situations. But one thing is for certain, when Jesus set that child down in front of that crowd, that crowd was just as diverse as this one. And he only set one child up there and said, in spite of all your diversity, all of you need to be converted and become like this one. Just dependent upon your Father. Be free from the fear and the anxiety that you think is yours to bear, but trust that you have a Father who loves you, who will correct you where you're wrong, who will affirm you where you're right, who will bring healing and prosperity and life into every one of your situations and circumstances. Even if you can't see it and you can't feel it, I promise you, He's faithful and He's true and He's unchanging in His love for you is what will carry you through this. I want to be converted to think like that. I want to pray for us this morning. You're welcome to be in an attitude of receiving or or agreement, however you choose. But the prayer is for us collectively, trusting and believing that there's no more powerful minister in the room than the Holy Ghost himself. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We surrender our hearts to the moving of your spirit. The Holy Spirit prevail over any anxious thoughts in our minds or any uh, uh, clouded issues in our hearts. Let truth prevail and light prevail. And let us see this word this morning for the wonderful truth that it is that you love us and that you've made a way for us to lean on you, to be dependent upon you, to receive from you, to have fellowship with you. Set us free from the arrogance or the learned behaviors that would put us in the positions of anxiety and fear. And let us be released into the wonders of childhood, knowing that you will care for us and raise us and lead us and guide us, correct us where we're wrong and provide for us where we need provision, that you will show us the way to go because you love us and you're teaching us. Open our hearts and minds to be converted to be like children, your children. Let it change how we see the world. Let it change how we speak. Let it change how we do. Let it change how we feel. Let it continue to change us into your likeness and after your image. That as we look up to you, we continue to look more like you. We bless your name and we thank you for this promise. And we receive this conversion with anticipation of great results with gratitude and thanksgiving. Let our spirit cry out, Abba, Father. We love you and thank you as your beloved children. And we receive you as our everlasting Father. In Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.